The gospel lesson comes to us from the good news according to St. Luke, the first chapter. This is Mary singing a song that she composed and sang to the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the gospel of our Lord. Well, some of you may know a little bit about my biography, but one thing that happens in New York often is people ask where you're from, and I never know how to answer. See, I was born at the first naval base hospital in Pensacola, Florida, and weaned for my first year over a steamy crocodile-filled bayou. But my first memories are from Newport Beach, uh, where we had moved to Santa Ana for the next few years of my life. I then learned to play soccer and endure the public shame of bifocals near the Puget Sound, where my parents uh, then moved and had also grown up. I discovered danger and heartbreak on a Carolina coastal swamp later. After that, I was sent fatherless into the wilderness of rural Texas. I've lived many other places since, and now New York City for the longest time. I sometimes wonder if a person becomes used to shaped by and then unable to escape this kind of nomadic, peripatetic life and mindset. And as you know, if you go to this church, we've talked a lot about embracing this aspect of life, of life being a pilgrimage, that that is what we're called to live out, to be wandering, resident nomads, is how the New Testament put, puts it, basically. I've also, like some of you, Never in my life owned a home. At this point, as long as I live in New York City, I have no hope or expectation of ever owning a home. And so when people ask where you're from, I don't know what to say. I don't feel like I've ever had a home of my own. And again, there are some good things about this. The whole Old and New Testament, first thing God says to almost everyone is go be fruitful and multiply, or go from the land that you know to this place that I will show you. Go through the Red Sea out into the wilderness. And we've talked about this a lot, becoming seekers rather than settlers, traveling lightly and expectantly, looking to be open to others. But there is also downsides to not having a home, of course. The insecurity that comes with not having a home, the vulnerability that comes from being homeless, the sense of never being able to put down roots or go deep in one place. Of course, as you know, I mean, you're vulnerable if you don't own 
your home if you don't have a place to sit down and be safe and secure. If my landlord decided to suddenly charge market rent rather than what he was charging us 15 years ago plus just a little bit more, we would again be homeless, vulnerable, insecure. And this is how a lot of us experience the world, that the world doesn't feel like a home the way that it's meant to be. We are all, all of us, whether or not we own a house, in some sense, actually homeless here in this world. I'm sure you know that originally the whole world was meant to be a safe home for us. We were set in a garden with a paradise world to go out and participate, loving and stewarding and naming and cultivating plants and animals and minerals and the whole world and one another and relationships and families and skills. We were meant to multiply and to cultivate. And yet, right there at the beginning of the good news in the Bible, starts with this unfortunate turn of events, our rebellion, our sin, our desire to try to kick God out of the home he had made for us. And immediately we experience shame, not feeling at home in our own skin suddenly, hiding, pointing fingers at those who were meant to bring us communion. So we have this relational alienation between God and ourselves, between one another, Murder, war over land and resources, thorns and thistles from the ground, as far as the curses found we sing, which is everywhere. This is all happening, this all takes place by the first few chapters of Genesis. And of course, we become aware of that first, most terrible and final home invader, which is death itself. The good news of the gospel and of Advent and of Christmas is that God didn't want us to stay in this state. He didn't want to leave us alone, vulnerable and afraid and in danger in the dark with nowhere to lay our heads. The proof of it is in the life of Jesus, this one we are anticipating in this season, this one who we are told became homeless himself, that he left his father's right hand and the home of glory that he had known in the father's presence. And he came to be one of us. He poured himself out. He took on human flesh. He took on our experiences as humans, as vulnerable people. And of course, his whole life, you look at him, he was an itinerant. He was nomadic. You might say he was a pilgrim, a migrant. He was dependent. He had to travel light. He went around outside, outdoors to find the outsiders he said of himself one time, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Think about this. I love that the Bible is so expansive that sometimes it can still surprise you. Uh, I've been ordained uh, what, since 2007, uh, reading the Bible a lot, went to school for it, and I had never really thought about this. Arguably, there is not a single verse in the New Testament that ever shows Jesus in a home of his own. Think about that. There's one or two verses that alludes to a house somewhere that some people met and it's not sure, you know, what, what the possessive is, whether it's his or someone else's, but more or less, there's no scenes of Jesus at home, in a house, in a place, doing domestic things. We know the story. He's born in a barn because there was no room for him at the hotel. 
He immediately flees as a migrant refugee to Egypt. We see him as a teenager pilgriming up to Jerusalem. Then he shows up as a young adult wandering Israel. And he's never shown in a domestic scene, really. He's never shown in a home. He's not domestic. It seems that he can't be domesticated. And he did all this to identify with us. To show us that he knows what it means to take on our experience and our flesh. And to live homeless in this world. Except when I reflect on it, actually, maybe you can make an argument that he did have one home. Clearly, he had one home. And we celebrate it this season. And that was the womb of his mother, Mary. He took on human flesh and let Mary become his home in order that we might know that God was moving into our flesh itself, our experience, our humanity. That God is now at home with us and in us. That God is the one who's going to taste our sufferings and our wilderness wanderings. He is going to make us his home. This is the mystery of the incarnation. And whether, whether you believe it or not, especially if you doubt this morning, think about this for a second. Mary is the one he chose for a home. Mary, this Galilean, you know, from the sticks. A teenage girl engaged to an older man. She's poor. She's off stage of the world's events. At the time, a Jewish prayer, a regular Jewish prayer that men were taught to pray was, Blessed are you, king of the universe, for not having made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. But from the mouths of infants and children, the Lord has ordained praise. And he chooses Mary to be his first home, to be nurtured, and to be birthed into the world through. And so, of course, this good news that Mary sings of, she composes a song and sings to him, about this mystery of what God is doing and how he chooses his homes. And she sings because now she knows that God is at home in her experience, at home in her body, and he's about to be home in the world. And she sings about the Magnificat. You heard it a moment ago. She magnifies and rejoices in the mighty, holy name of the Lord. She sings of his mercy. She sings of the one who wraps the brokenhearted in his embrace. She sings of the one who brings dignity to the humble, who replaces their fear with his love. Who fills the hungry with good things and brings low the haughty and arrogant and proud. Mary sings. And no doubt she sang to Jesus of the love and mercy of God the Father. This is a song of revolution. A song that says that injustice and oppression and all of the forces of darkness and death that make us homeless and vulnerable and insecure in this world will be brought low. Will be finished. This oppression will finally be overcome by the love and power of God. But of course, even then, Jesus is just in utero. His mouth wasn't even opened yet. He had no words. You might ask, how could he bring down the mighty from their thrones? Even when he grew into a man, he himself never had a throne. He never had a palace or a crown. Except a crown that was forced onto his head by the ones who killed him. But see, this is the means of the kingdom. Nobody today is celebrating the birth of Herod. He is a footnote, a throwaway character known for his failure to stop the reign of a peasant king. The song is telling us that God is making this world a safe home for him in us and for us, for all people in the world. That his promise is that he will come and make the whole world a safe home again for all people. 
as far as the curse is found. See, the gospel is hard to believe because it comes in this weak way. It comes in the weakness of this church. How could this small church impact our neighborhood or the city or the world? How could the people around you be the ones who change your life? It's hard to believe because it's so small. From the mouth of babies and infants, he has ordained praise. Mary's song announces to us that it is the lowly, the humble, who God is most likely to work with. That the Lord does not favor those who flourish and have great success and power and self-provision, but is present to those who are lowly. Indeed, that God is more likely to be found, well, in a barn, with the people who have been refused a bed, rather than with the princes who have been handed everything. None of us who have been a part of Resurrection Brooklyn since Matt and Deb Brown moved into Brooklyn 20 years ago to start what was then Park Slope Presbyterian Church have ever owned a home. We all have stories. I remember being at Park Slope when we moved from the John Jay Auditorium up to the cafeteria, and we never knew what was going to be there. And one day, I think it was some Baha'i faith or some Buddhists were meeting downstairs, and all of a sudden there was confusion because we were all showing up at the same time, and I just started going, hey, Buddhists downstairs, Christians upstairs, because we didn't know who was coming to visit who, you know? just like So we were just making jokes about it, and of course, you know your saga and history of the time. During the pandemic, you were kicked out of your place, and you had to meet in the evening. We all know the times that we've had to... Uh, meet out in fields for the Eucharist in Park Slope or in this garden here. Clinton Hill had four different places it worshipped before here, including the Masonic Temple, which was interesting. <laughs> Sheepshead Bay did the best because uh, they were at a yacht club, and so as soon as they were over, they got to watch the boat, boats by and pour a margarita and sit by the pool. But it was also strange and had a gate around it so that it was hard to welcome people to. We've been through a lot. We've moved around We've had wilderness wanderings. We've not known what it means to have a home, but today, he's given us a home. And I want you to hear this in closing, that he came to make the whole world his home and ours. He wants everyone to experience life with safety and a sense of being at home, both in their own skin and in the world. And so as we Share our first Sunday as owners of this property. May it be a home for us, yes. But may it be a home for us to do the same that God has been doing and is continuing to do to build his kingdom, to find the humble and the hurting and those who don't feel at home in their own skin and those who don't have a place to come together and find community to belong, to make it a home for them. This will happen as we more and more let Jesus go deeper into each one of our hearts to root out all the things within us that keep us from loving God and loving neighbor as self. As we let him come in and commune with him and get deeper and deeper within us, just as Mary did, to let him be birthed in and through us. This is our mission, and if we do it, it will also lead to us making the whole world, little inches of this property and everything around it, inviting people in, making them feel at home, our God. This is about deepening his room in us, his home in us and in our neighbors. There is still more truth and goodness and beauty and unity and love to share. There are more curtains and walls to tear down and hearts and minds to open up to God. And he's going to keep doing this through us if we let him until we are all finally filled with God. Every cell and every distant shore filled with the fullness of God. 
Nothing less is worth celebrating and pursuing and giving our common life for. Until God in his love and presence. Until we are all with him. Finally and fully. Home at last. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh. Mm-hmm.